Welcome to the Center Branch Church Weekly Podcast. We believe that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast. Here's this week's message. Well, we've been, we've been in a series for, uh, this is the fourth week now, just kind of working our way through the book of Philippians, taking it chapter by, by chapter. This is our fourth week in the series. There's only four chapters, so we're going to wrap it up this, this week. And there's so much in the book of Philippians to talk about. We're, we're taking it pretty quick, going an entire chapter at a time. So what we've been trying to do is pick up on this theme. One of the themes in the book of Philippians is the theme of of joy and rejoicing in the Lord and the blessing of serving him, the joy that comes with it. So the first week we talked about the joy in finding purpose. And we talked about some ways that you can find your purpose. You were made for a reason. You have a purpose and there's joy in knowing what that is and the way that you fit into the body of Christ and the kingdom of God. And then we looked at chapter two. And in chapter two, Pastor Christina talked about the joy that there is in serving, following Jesus' example as a a servant. We got to know that joy last week, a bunch of us serving together. Then chapter three, Pastor Jonathan talked about the joy of knowing Jesus, the joy of knowing Jesus. Pastor Christina and Pastor Jonathan did an amazing job in those two messages. Listen, listen, I... I always try to be intentional about saying what a great job they did when when they speak. But the danger in that is it sounds like you're always just saying saying it to be nice. I'm not saying it to be nice. If you miss those messages, you need to go back and listen to them. They they were powerful. They were anointed. They were insightful. It'll minister to you to go back and listen to the. it, It was amazing. You guys did a phenomenal, phenomenal job. Now you can clap. They did great. So I was away on vacation. Whenever I'm away, wherever I am, I always find a church to go to. And sometimes, sometimes it turns out to be a great decision and you're kind of flying blind into churches sometimes. And so the services I was a part of, they were, they were nice little services, but then I got to listen to those messages online. And I'm not trying to say anything negative about other churches, but what I heard in those services did not compare to what I received from the messages that, that they that they brought. So I'm complimenting them, but really in a way I'm complimenting you because we are blessed to have people like that on our staff. Those two, but all the entire staff, they are amazing, amazing servants of Jesus. But the Bible says that the pastors, people in ministry roles are actually gifts to the church. So what does it say about how God feels about you, that those are the kind of gifts that he allows you, you to have. You're special. God thinks very highly of you to bless you with gifts like like we've been given in our staff. Amen? So let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll we'll wrap up chapter 4. Father, I love you. I thank you for your presence here with us this morning. I thank you for each person who's here with us. And Father, I pray you'd fill us with your spirit. Holy Spirit, come and bring illumination and understanding, revelation. Flood our hearts with light this morning. Father, I pray you bless each one of us with eyes to see. Bless us with ears to hear that we can know you more. Father, that our hearts would be like good soil. That the seed of your word would take root and bring forth a harvest, 30, 60, 100 fold what's been planted into our lives. Father, we would incline our ear to hear what you want to say to us this morning. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever done a trust fall? 
you know what I'm talking about with a, a trust fall where you've got, you've got two people standing and the person in front just falls backwards and if everything goes according to plan, the person behind them catches them before they, they hit the floor and you've demonstrated trust, you've, you've built trust. You, you know what I'm talking about with, with trust falls, right? I don't know who came up with them. It's like a leadership exercise. You, you, you build trust, whatever. Well, our youngest daughter, Hazel, just a couple of weeks ago, was introduced to trust falls. And you, you know how it is when kids discover something new, it's, it's new and it's exciting. So there were a lot of trust falls happening at our house. I mean, just over and over and over again, just falling and, and, and being caught. Well, so the, she was kind of high on trust falls there for a few days. And a, a, a couple of weeks ago, I was talking to someone at our house and then I heard crying coming from another part of the house. And as a parent, you develop the ability to kind of distinguish between different cries, right? There's a cry like they're just fighting over a toy or something. There's a cry where I think they just want attention. And then there's another cry where you know, all right, somebody just sustained an injury of some sort. It was, it was that kind of cry. So I said, hey, you're gonna have to excuse me for a minute. I, I need to go check on you know, where the source of this crying is coming from. So I found Hazel, she's crying, she's hurt. And what happened was she attempted a trust fall with her older sister and her older sister failed, failed to hold up her end of the deal. Now there was, uh, you know, people were presenting their sides. The older sister, whose name is not being disclosed to, to protect her, uh, said she had no idea that a trust fall was even happening at, a time, at the time. Hazel just went into full, full trust fall, you know, without her being aware and ended up, you know, just falling flat on the floor, which is what everyone's fear is when it comes to a trust fall, that you're not going to be caught and you're just going to, you know, clunk your head off the floor or the coffee table or whatever happens to be around. And really that that's what makes the, the element of trust important because you are, you are really kind of putting yourself in the other person's hands. You're, you're making yourself vulnerable. Now, if you've ever done trust falls, there, there's always the person that then when they start to lean, they're just, they're, they just lean, right? Or they, they lean to a point and then they start doing the kind of stepping, stepping back. The, the point of the trust fall is you reach a point where you're no longer in control, right? You, you, you cross that point where you turn yourself over to the other person's, other person's care. So when people just lean back or get to that point and then start you know, walking, walking awkwardly backwards, they're demonstrating that they understand the idea of the trust fall. They know what it's supposed to look like. They know the theory behind the trust fall. They just don't actually trust the person. They'll demonstrate they understand how it's supposed to work, but they don't demonstrate trust. Trust is demonstrated when you cross that point and you truly, genuinely surrender yourself to the other person, into their care. That you, you, can, you can let me just fall on the floor if you want to. It's, it's totally up to you at this point. I've given up control. I've, I've crossed the point where I can do anything about it. And now it's, I'm, I am in your hands. And that, that's basically how a trust fall works, right? Sometimes Christians serve the Lord like the person who just leans back a little bit or stumbles backwards 
and they're not willing to really cross the point of genuine surrender. They'll demonstrate that they understand what Christianity is supposed to look like, and maybe at a difference, at a distance, it looks like that they're doing the thing. They're, they're turning over their trust. They're really surrendering, surrendering themselves to the Lord. But they're just demonstrating that they know what it's supposed to look like, and they're not willing to genuinely cross that point where, Lord, I'm no longer in control. I genuinely surrender all that I am in your hand. I'm fully in your hands at, at this point. And the fear is, just, just like with the trust fall, the fear is if I totally trust the Lord, is he going to hurt me? Am I just going to hit the ground? If I put myself in his hands and I take myself out of control, what is that going to look like? And that's really where the trust comes in. And trust, trust is a big deal to the Lord. The Bible says without faith, without trust, it's impossible, impossible to please the Lord. So I, I want to take a few minutes this morning and talk about surrender. Talk about surrendering ourselves to the Lord. We're going to look at Philippians chapter 4. And just like all of the other chapters, there is so much in this chapter. There's a lot of great verses, a lot of great passages. Maybe some of your absolute favorite verses are, are in the verses we're going to read today. But in the time we have, I'm just going to try to pull out one theme that we see through this. And it's surrender. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter four, let's start reading in verse one. It says, therefore, my beloved and longed for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I implore Euodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind. I practiced those names earlier. Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. So he's, he's getting ready to wrap up this letter and he's writing, he's writing to the entire community, the entire city where all these Philippians are, all of the believers in that city. And as he's getting ready to wrap up the letter, he calls out the names of these two individuals because there's something going on in their relationship. Well, I read from the New King James Version and it says to be of one mind. Another translation says to settle your differences. Apparently, something happened in the relationship with these two women where there was an offense, there was hurt, one person was no longer talking to the other person. Something happened. There was a rift in this relationship. Now, it shows us how important our relationships are with one another that Paul would take time in this entire community of believers to say, hey, I know that these two people aren't getting along right now. You, you guys need to settle it. You guys need to get over it because there's more at stake than just how they were feeling and what happened. He's talking about the importance of us being unified as the body of believers, that there is unity, that we're together, that we're not giving the enemy a crack in our relationships to begin to work with. If you have opportunity to be offended and you will have opportunity, we've got to see this passage as revelation that there's more at stake than just how you are feeling and things didn't go the way that you wanted them to. You didn't like how you were treated. You were, you were cheated. It was unfair. There's more at stake. What's at stake is whether the body of Christ is genuinely unified and loving one another and standing in solidarity or whether there's little rifts and division all throughout the body, the body of, of Christ. So one of the things that we need to surrender, we've got to surrender our actions and the way that we treat one another. There's more at stake than how you are feeling and how you wish things would have gone. You would have done things differently. You don't really think that they act appropriately. He's saying, listen, you two, you've got to get over it. You've got to move past it. 
You've got to surrender your rights and what you think is fair, what you think is unfair. There's too much at stake. There's, there's too much that can happen when the body of Christ is working together as a team, working unified. And it hurts the body too much when you've got people that aren't, aren't talking to one another or upset with another, one another. So if that's you, maybe there's someone you're upset with. Maybe there's someone you're offended with. You've got to get over it. You've got to let go of whatever the offense is. Let go of however you were mistreated. Not try to justify it. You, you've just got to be willing to surrender that so we can be unified and healthy as a body of Christ. You know, that's important to the Lord, our relationships with one another. Jesus talked about someone coming to the temple and getting ready to offer the Lord a sacrifice. And he says, if that's you and you're getting ready to present God an offering and you realize things with me and someone else aren't right, you know what Jesus said to do? Hold everything. Just set that offering down. Don't even offer it. God, uh, he'll wait. You go get right with that person. You need to go apologize. You need to go say, hey, man, it seems like you're upset with me. Did I do something wrong? Do I need to apologize? We need to get right. We need to settle our difference. He said to do that before you even come and offer your offering to him. In the book of James, it tells us what causes quarrels and divisions and fighting amongst ourselves. What is it? Because you want something and you don't get it. The reason that we get offended and upset and I don't like him anymore and I, and I don't really think much of her, the root of it ultimately is selfishness. Things didn't go the way that you want. You didn't get what you wanted and you're being selfish. And so we've got to surrender that and die that. Let's read the next couple of verses. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Let your gentleness be known to all. Rejoice in the Lord always. The New Living Translation says, always be full of joy in the Lord. Always be full of joy in the Lord. That, that's instruction to us. You are supposed to act happy as a believer. Do you know that? Now would be a good time to give it a try. There we go. It wasn't so hard. You're supposed to act happy. Christians shouldn't be like Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh thinking that that somehow makes them pious and religious and pleasing to God. Always, always be full of joy in the Lord. I'll say it again. You've got to rejoice. That's what Paul said. He repeated himself. You need to be full of joy. We need to be rejoicing in the Lord. It's important that we are full of, of, of joy. It's a command for us. It's instruction that, that he gives us, but it's not just a random command. He's also giving us insight on how to keep ourselves full of joy. And the way we do that is by living a life of surrender. There is joy in surrender. And he's continuing to talk about surrendering to God in our actions, in our, in our behavior. He says, let your gentleness be known to all men. Another translation says, let it be evident. There should be evidence in the way that you treat other people, in the way that you behave, in the way you handle your relationships. Outwardly, people should be able to see your commitment to the Lord, that you've surrendered. I'm not just doing what I want to do. I'm not just treating people the way that I think is appropriate. I've surrendered that area of my life, and my actions are surrendered to him. Amen. That we're supposed to be surrendered in our actions. Look at the motivator he gives. 
because the Lord's at hand. He's coming soon. The Lord is near. If that was true when Paul wrote this, how much more should you and I be motivated? Listen, I've got to live surrendered in the way that I act because Jesus could appear at any moment. That trumpet could sound any moment. That sky could split right open and I could see Jesus, right? Any moment, the Lord is near. The Lord is at hand. So we've got to let the way that we treat other people, the way that we act, evidence in my behavior that I'm surrendered I'm surrendered to the Lord. What areas of your life are you just doing things that you way that you want to do? Your relationships, the way you treat people, maybe certain behaviors that you've justified. Well, you know, I'm, I, I, I do participate in this, but I mean, everyone, everyone has their vice. Everyone has a little area where they let themselves have some, you're not surrendered. Well, I know I shouldn't be living with this person because I'm not married to them, but I mean, it is 2021. You're not surrendered. You're not surrendered to the Lord. I know I shouldn't be going this far in my relationship. I know I shouldn't be doing these things, this behavior. It's, I know it's kind of frowned upon in the Bible, but if you're ju justified, you're not surrendered to the word of God. And when you're not surrendered, you're missing out on the joy that God has for you to be surrendered in our actions. And as we're looking through this, it's like Paul is going layer by layer. He's moving, he's moving deeper. The first area of surrender is outwardly in the way that I'm acting, the way I'm behaving. People can see whether you're genuinely surrendered or not in your behavior. In these next couple of verses, he's, he's gonna take us one layer deeper. Let's go ahead and read a couple of verses. Verse six, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So now we're starting to deal with our attitudes and our thoughts. From, from actions to attitudes, now it's more internal. And he says to be anxious about nothing. You know, recently I was feeling myself get anxious about some things. And I read this passage of scripture and it, it kind of convicted me. Because if you're like me, I mean, you've read this passage dozens or hundreds, hundreds of times. I, I, I know this passage. I have it memorized. I even know a little song about this passage. I could sing it to you, but I'll spare you. So I, I'm familiar with it. You're familiar with it. I, I, you, I, you hear a message on it. But sometimes when, when you hear this, be anxious about nothing. Yeah, I, I know that. And then you immediately, this is what I was doing, going to justify why it's okay for you to feel anxiety and stress. Be anxious about nothing. Yeah, I, yeah, I know that. But here's the thing. What I'm anxious about, it's actually serious. What I'm going through, this, this is, you know, that's fine. But man, what's going on at my, my home, in my household, it, it's serious. So my, my stress, my anxiety, it's valid. Be anxious about nothing. Well, you know, that, that, that sounds good and I appreciate that and that, that's good for some people. But man, what's going on with work right now? What's, what's going on with my finances? And you start to justify. Anyone ever do that? Be anxious about nothing, but you feel like the fact that you're anxious, it's okay because what you're anxious about is so serious. But if it doesn't work when things are serious, then it, it just doesn't work. It's a command. Be anxious about what? What fits into the category of things that you're, it's okay for you to be anxious about? That category, nothing. Nothing, not a thing, nothing. Be anxious about nothing, but in everything, but in everything. You know what that means? In every area of your life, it says in everything by prayer and supplication, or some translations say petition, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to the Lord in everything. That, that means that there's not one area of your life that God doesn't want to hear about. 
There's nothing that you would bring to him and say, are you serious? I, I, I want like the, the big deal stuff. No, every, in everything, every little, what, what shoes you're going to wear, what shoes you're going to buy, whatever it is, God has this posture. He loves you so much in everything. Come on, bring it to me. Bring it to me. Talk, talk to me about, that's how much God loves you. I don't want you to be anxious about anything. And he gives us the, this step-by-step instruction how to get rid of anxiety. But in everything, prayer, petition, thanksgiving. There's really complicated explanations of these words. Let me give you a a really simple one. Break this down. Prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving. Prayer is this. Prayer is just talking to God. It's just talking to him. When you're anxious about something, when you feel stress or there's something coming up and you feel concern rising, what's the first thing you do? Just talk to God. Father, here's what's going on at work. And it, it, it just doesn't seem fair. And it seems like this person's getting treatment that, that I deserve. And I, I'm not going to get the position. Man, I, I need that money. God, it's causing me to worry. And I'm having a hard time sleeping at night. It's, it's really bothering. You just start to pour out your heart to the Lord. Just talk to him about it, right? Here's what's going on with my kids. They seem to be acting crazy. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how. To, I've never been through this before. It's my first time with a teenager. God, I don't want to mess this up. I'm worried that I'm going to do something wrong. I, I hate the feeling, Father, that I'm going to blow this somehow. You just talk to him. Just, just pour out your heart to the Lord. by prayer. That, that's what prayer means. Just talk to God about it. If it's bothering you, talk to him about it. And then you move on to petition. Petition is where you, you start to quote God's word. You're making requests. You're saying, Father, I don't know what to do, but your word says, if any man lacks wisdom, he can come to you. And if I'll, I'll come and I'll, I'll believe when I ask that you will give me wisdom with all liberality. You'll just pour out wisdom. So Father, that's what I'm doing. Here's the situation. I told you about it. I've got to have understanding. I don't know what the solution is. Father, give me wisdom or whatever applies to your situation. You create a petition before the Lord. You're, so you're just going to talk to God. Then you're going to present your request or your petition. And then you're going to give him thanks. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you've invited me to come and talk to you about this stuff. Father, thank you. I'm, I'm talking to you because you made a way. You're the one that said, come on, bring, bring it to me. You don't have to worry about it. So Father, I thank you that you're that kind of God. I thank you you care about this situation. Father, you could easily just blow me off and think it doesn't matter, but because it matters to me, it matters to you. Father, I thank you for loving me like that. I thank you for being so good to me. I thank you for how you've taken care of me in the past, that your hand is, you just start thanking God. And if we follow those steps, what does the Bible say is going to happen? If we'll follow that, the word of God says that his peace will begin to guard your heart. It'll guard your mind. A peace that goes beyond understanding. Have you ever experienced that? Peace that goes beyond understanding. Then maybe your understanding, you don't really understand how it's all going to play out, how God's going to do what he's going to do. Your understanding is here, but your peace is here. It doesn't even make sense how how much peace you have. That's a good place to be. When you've got peace that, especially if you're like me and you've got very limited understanding. It's good to have peace that goes beyond your understanding. Amen. If you were part of the church, boy, a uh, year and a half ago, two years ago, when we first made the decision, we're, we're, we're thinking about moving to Toys R Us. If you were part of the church at that time, we kind of presented the idea. It was a big move for us. We're going to have this 
special meeting where people could ask questions and present their side of the, you know, the argument. People maybe didn't want to move, didn't want to. We had a great piece of property where we were at. It made sense that people were attached to it. So we're going to have the, this meeting. And some people were emotional, had strong feelings. And I remember some people coming to me and saying, hey, are you nervous about this? Are you, are you anxious? Are you stressed? I just had God's peace. I didn't understand how things were going to go. I didn't, under, I didn't know how the church was going to vote. I, I didn't know any of those things. My understanding was here, but my, my peace was so far beyond my understanding. I just, I just, I just have peace. I just, yes, no, people, people yell, people scream. I, I don't know. I, I, I just have peace. That's a good place to be. And he's given us, there is a particular specific path to get to that kind of peace. It's saying, I'm not, I choose not to be anxious. I'm surrendering this situation to the Lord. You know, talk to God about, pray, petition, and I'm going to give him thanks. And if I do that, the Bible says his peace, it goes beyond understanding, begins to guard my heart. My, how do we get to that kind of peace? Through, through surrender. So we're surrendering our actions. We're surrendering our attitudes. He, start, he continues talking about our attitudes and our thoughts in the next couple of verses. Verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate or think on these things. The things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do in the God of peace. The God of peace will be with you. He's giving us a criteria for the things that you think about. Your thought life is so important. The way that you think is important. And the way we're supposed to live is not, not just any thought goes. It's supposed to meet these standards, which eliminates a lot of things to think about. Correct? Not everything meets the criteria that we're, we're given. Not everything's praiseworthy. Not everything's virtuous. Not everything's a good, good report. That, that's the criteria which also lets us know that you are able to control what you think about. That's some people's problem. Some people just resign themselves. Oh, you, I mean, you can't help what you think. I mean, thoughts pop up and you see something, you start thinking. Well, according to this, you do have control over what you're thinking about. Otherwise, it would be unfair to give us instructions with a very detailed list of what we are supposed to be thinking about. We're supposed to surrender our attitudes, surrender our, our thoughts to the Lord, which means that not every thought is acceptable. You can't just think about whatever you want to think about if you're living surrendered to the Lord. Men, that means that lustful thoughts are unacceptable. That's, that's not virtuous. And you can't just say, well, I mean, I, did you see how short that skirt? Well, I mean, I, it just popped into my mind. Listen, you, you're accountable. You're responsible for what is going on in your mind. And the, the enjoyment that you get from thinking about that for five or 10 minutes or how, how, however long you're going to spend dwelling on it, it doesn't meet the, meet the standard if we're living a surrendered life to the Lord surrendered in our thought life. This is such an important, what, what you think about is so important and affects really everything else in your life. I'm not going to spend too much time with this passage, even though it's super rich, because the next series, the series we're going to start a week from today, unless something changes, we're going to press in to some understanding on how important your thought life is. Spend some time talking about what you think about and why you think about it. You know, the Bible says a man that is spiritually minded, to him it's life and peace. But if you're carnally minded, what is it? 
It's death. Think about that spectrum. It's all determined by by what's going on in your mind and your thought life. It's either going to result in death or life and peace. It's all determined in your mind and in your thoughts. It's important. And he gives us a standard here of what we're supposed to think about. We've got to surrender to God in our actions and surrender to God in our attitudes. This next few verses, he's going to plunge one, one layer deeper. Verse 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now we'll keep reading, but one thing he's saying right here is very important. He's talking about finances. He's talking about people living surrendered when it comes to their assets, when it comes to their resources. And he says, I have learned how to have more than enough and I've learned how to have nothing. I've learned how to live where I've got an overflow and I'm flourishing and I also know how to have nothing and continue to rely on the Lord and allow him to supply all of my needs. It's important to have the strength of Jesus and the understanding to be able to do one and the other. Because a lot of the church today, we're comfortable when we are abased, when we have nothing that we know how to rely on the Lord where we've got nothing and our pockets are pulled inside out. God, you've got to supply all my needs. We know how to operate at that level. What a lot of people don't know how to operate is when they have an abundance. It's important to know how to be full and overflowing and know how to behave in that situation as well. And know how to be blessed to be a blessing. How to let God pour out resources and keep it surrendered and not become consumed with the resources. Paul said, I I know how to do both. I can be either end of the spectrum and I'm okay. A lot of Christians today are just okay with one end of the spectrum. Paul said, "I I know how to do both. Let's continue reading. Nevertheless, you have done well, verse 14. You've done well that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So he's, he's moving deeper and he's talking about money. And the reason it's, it's a deeper level is because Jesus said where your treasure is, there your heart is as well. He says, I know how to do both. And let, let me read verse 17 again. He says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Now, Paul is writing this to the Philippians. We know that. And he says, I, I, Paul, I don't seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. But he's also writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So it's not just Paul saying this. It's God saying this. He says, I, I don't, I'm not after the gift. When it comes to your assets, when it comes to your money, I'm not after the gift. It's not after your money. What I'm seeking, what I'm looking for is the fruit, is the fruit. God doesn't need your money. 
making $30,000 a year. Your, your tithe of $3,000 is not gonna keep the body of Christ afloat. God owns all the silver and all the gold, all the earth and the fullness thereof. It belongs to him. He's not after the gift. What he's after is the fruit that you're showing. I'm yielded to you. God, I am. He wants the fruit of surrender. God, you can see in the way that I give and the way that I just release whatever you ask me to. There's nothing off limits in my life. You point to anything, God, and there's yours. There's nothing I'm going to cling to more than I cling to you. God's not after that check or that amount of money. He's after seeing the fruit. You really belong to me. He's really mine. She's totally surrendered. And there's fruit of that surrender. It's not just theory. It's not just words. There's, there's fruit that that person is, is surrendered. So we want to surrender in our actions. It's one level that's outward. We want to surrender in our attitudes. That, that people can't see that as easily. That's more internal. And a deeper level is at the heart level. I'm surrendered in my assets. Everything that I have belongs to the Lord. People don't want to surrender when it comes to their finances because of a fear of missing out. People think things like, well, if I really, that trust fall, if I, if I cross that point where all of my finances are really in God's hand, I know what he's gonna do. He's probably gonna want me to give everything to some missionary or something. And I'm never gonna have anything nice again. I'm not gonna be able to go anywhere nice or have a good vacation. I, I know if I surrender, he's just gonna have me sign everything over to some guy that's going to you know, Asia or something. And that, that's it, I'll be broke the rest of my life. Well, first of all, surrender, surrender is really more about acknowledging reality. That when I surrender everything to the Lord, it just is an acknowledgement that it's all his to begin with, right? The, the only reason you have anything to begin, God, it's all yours. If God was just looking to wipe you out and get you broke, he has other means of doing it than just asking you to kindly to write a check. If he wanted you just flat on your back, but with, with nothing left, he doesn't have to do it by means of presenting an opportunity to support a ministry or to, to tithe faithfully your 10%, Correct? People have a fear of, of missing out. People want to just lean, lean back a little bit and not cross, cross that point of God, I'm fully, fully, genuinely surrendered to you. So they know what it looks like, but they don't want to cross, they don't want to cross that point. And that fear of missing out, you think you're protecting yourself, but you're not really protecting yourself. You're keeping yourself from the blessing that God has for you. You're really missing out. And again, when we talk about money, it's a heart issue. So what applies here applies to everything else. There's a fear of missing out, and that's why people don't surrender. They want to be able to do what they want to do. God, I'll, I'll, I'll lean back a little bit. I don't want to cross that line where I'm totally in your hands and completely surrendered because then I, I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to miss out on doing what I want to do. I'm afraid I'm going to miss out on having what I want to have. I'm afraid I'm missing. I'm going to miss out on, on doing things the way that I want to do. And I feel those fears. I understand those fears, but there should be a greater fear that we miss out on the things that he has for us. If we just let go of our own agenda and our own desires, do you think you really have bigger dreams for your life than what God, God has for you? He's the one that created you and formed you and put those gifts on the inside of you. And if you won't let go of your own dreams, you'll never be able to fall into his hands and let him show you and lead you and guide you. If you insist on having your own way. That's the way things work in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, to, to gain, you have to release. To rise higher, you have to be willing to go lower. If you want something, you don't cling to it, you surrender. That's the way things work in the kingdom of God. It's about surrender. Surrender. Why? It's about trust. It's about trust. 
And there's that fear, man, if I really trust God with my actions, if I really trust God with my thoughts, with my attitudes, if I really trust God with my, my assets, I know he's going to let me clunk my head off the floor. I, I just know, or maybe you're going to fall into the hands of a good and loving and powerful God. Let me read to you from Luke chapter nine. Luke chapter nine, verse 24, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. That's the way things function in the kingdom of God. If I want to find my life, then I lay it down. But if, I want to, if I'm going to cling to it because I want it so bad, what happens as a result? I, I, I end up losing it. See it all through the New Testament. That's the way Jesus functioned. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 10, it says, talking about Jesus, that he who first descended is the one who ascended to the highest place. Before Jesus ascended to the highest place, what, what did he do? He descended to the lowest place. He was willing to surrender. And how did he rise to that place? By surrendering to the lowest place. And God exalted him, gave him a name that's above every name, lifted him high above everything else. As a, that came from his, from his surrender. That's the only way he was able to get there. The Bible says the same thing is true for you and I. If we'll humble ourselves, what will God do? If I humble myself, God will, God will exalt me. That's the way things work in the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter 6. Verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. And if I want all these other things, if I want what life has to offer, if I pursue them, they're gonna slip through my hands. But if I'll just say, you know what? I'm not pursuing that. I'm going after God. I'm going after his kingdom. Father, you have all of my heart. Then I'll gain those things. Those things will pursue me instead of me pursuing them. That's the way things work in the kingdom of God. The Bible says that death is the last enemy to be defeated. Right? Death is the last enemy to be defeated. Now, obviously, that's talking about when Jesus returns and there's no more death. But there's also a principle there. Death is the last enemy to be defeated. Death is the most extreme thing that can happen to you. So once you've experienced it, there's no reason to fear it any longer. So when people come to a point like Paul did, Paul said, I die daily. Paul was able to say it wasn't just poetry. It wasn't just a neat, a neat way of thinking about it. He said, I no longer live, but Christ, Christ lives in me. That he was genuine. That was real. I, Paul's dead. I, I don't live the way I'm, I'm totally surrendered to the Lord. I don't live the way that I want to live anymore. Christ lives in me. To, to get to resurrection life, first you have to go through the grave. It's through death that you, you're able to experience the life that God has for us. Death is the last enemy to be defeated. Well, once you cross that line, you're free from that fear. You know, I remember when I was going to ask Beth to marry me, I scheduled a trip. She lived in Delaware at the time. We were in college. It was summertime. I was going to go to her house, visit her for a few days. But my, my whole point in that visit was to get alone with her dad and ask him for permission can I ask your daughter to marry me? And I was scared to death. I was sick to my stomach. I waited till I was there for like two or three days. I waited till the, I kept putting it off, putting it off to the last possible moment where I'm getting ready to leave. I'm shaking, I'm trembling. I, I mean, I'm just so nervous. Can, can I please ask your daughter to marry me? 
You know what? I, I haven't been nervous about that ever since. I'm not nervous about talking to her dad about marrying her. Never, never even crosses my mind. Not scared one bit. What? Because I already did it. But once I, once I, I already crossed that line, I'm not afraid of that anymore. I, I've, I've passed that. Same thing is true as death. The things that you worry about, once, once you experience death, death is the last enemy to be defeated. If you're willing to truly surrender all that I am, God, I'm entirely yours. My actions, my attitude, everything that I have, I'm just gonna fall completely. I'm gonna stop stutter stepping backwards and trying to maintain control. I'm completely in your hand. You know, when people accept Jesus as savior, it's not supposed to be just a mental acknowledgement that you agree with what the Bible says. It's not just a, an emotional response or a tipping of the cap that yes, I believe that Christ is divine. It's supposed to be surrender. Jesus, you're Lord of my life. That's what we talk about. I, I gave my heart to the Lord. That, that's not just supposed to be a, a figurative saying. That I'm, I'm really still calling the shots, but I just kind of said, I believe in that guy. I think church is neat. That, that's not what it's about. I, I said the little thing. I repeated after him. It's surrender. I'm not mine anymore. I've been bought with a price. I belong to you. You're, you're my Lord. I'm, I'm just going to live in a way that pleases you. That's what so, salvation is supposed to be about. Absolute surrender, not partial surrender. Not I want the benefits of knowing God, but I still want to, I still want to be my own Lord and master. That, that's not what salvation is about. And the reason we have so many weak Christians is because we have so many weak commitments. The reason we're only making partial impact the way that God wants us to is because we're only partially surrendered. The reason we're only seeing a, a partial manifestation of what the Bible says should be happening in the life of a believer. The kind of fruits that we're supposed to be bearing is because there's only a partial surrender. It's when we're completely in his hands, not just leaning back a little bit, looking over our shoulders saying, I know if I go too far, you're, you're not, you're going to disappoint me somehow, Lord. Lord, I'm, I'm all yours. Complete surrender to the Lord. We're going to pray in just a couple of minutes. And I hope for some of us, it's like a funeral this morning, putting things to death areas of your life that you've been insisting on your own way. This relationship, the way I treat people, I've justified, I'm not surrendered in this area. The things that I think about, the way I handle, whatever it is for you, that today is, it marks the end of that. That you could walk out of here, it's, it's no longer me, it's Christ. Completely surrendered. I had the wrong idea about Christianity coming into that service. I understand now, I lay myself down. It's all about Jesus. Not just trying to garner a few of the benefits to kind of pad my own way of doing things and make it more enjoyable. Complete surrender. That's what it is to be a follower of Jesus. To forsake all else, cling only to him. So we're gonna pray. I've been praying for an anointing here this morning. An anointing that would give people, people grace. And the picture I had in my mind was like, people atrophied or seized, just holding on to things, that there would be a grace just to, just to soften people's grip, starts to loosen things that you've clung to, that way of doing things, that way of behaving, that habit, whatever it is, that reliance on self, anxious because what you're dealing with is really serious. No, just a complete releasing, a surrender. In Ezekiel chapter 47, is where he talks about part of his vision, where he sees the temple and there's, there's a river flowing out of the temple. And the angel starts to lead him in this river and measures off a thousand cubits at a time. They, they go so far and he says that the water was ankle deep. Some of you are familiar with what I'm talking about. He goes out further and it's, it's knee deep. 
goes out further and it's waist deep, goes out further and he says, it's too deep. I can't, you can't walk in it anymore. It's, it's like over my head. I, you, you have to resort to swimming at this point. It's just, it's so deep. And he says that it was at that level where it, it was too deep. They looked around and you started to see, man, there's, there's fruit growing on the shores. This, this river's bringing life now. It's taking things that are dead and causing them to be alive again. There's healing flowing and life flowing at that level. A few years ago, I remember seeing a, a video clip on the news of somebody at the Niagara Falls. I don't know how they got in this situation, but they were, they were perched right on the edge of the falls. Anyone ever see this, this video? This guy's like standing on a rock. He's just in a little bit of water, but he's like in the middle of the falls. And if you've been to the Niagara Falls, they're intimidating. That's a lot of water dropping a long ways. And they're, they're trying to rescue this guy who's out right on the edge, right out on the edge of the falls. And again, the water's probably ankle deep, maybe up to his, up to his shins. And he's just standing there. You can tell, I mean, he's right on, right on the edge. I don't know if he got washed downstream, just found like the last possible rock to cling to. But but he's just standing on it. They're trying to figure out, how do, we, do we get him a rope? How do we keep this guy from going over? He's probably gonna die if he goes over. Well, why didn't that guy, if he's standing on the rock fine, why don't he just hop off the rock and swim on over to the shore? I mean, why do they have to worry about rescuing him? Why don't he just make his way to the edge of the river? Because when it was shallow like that, he was able to, to remain in control. But the moment he steps off, and that water's over his head, you know what's gonna happen. He's gonna be surrendered to whatever that river wants to do to him. Once he loses contact, once he loses his his leverage, he's now at the mercy of the river. So he has to stay right there until they rescue him. Because he gets in over his head, the river's gonna do whatever it wants to him. That's, That's the level that the Bible's talking about in Ezekiel chapter 47, where there's life and fruitfulness and and healing and things being changed and God's spirit moving in power, where people move beyond, where they're they're kind of in, but they're still in control. Get to that point where I'm fully, I'm surrendered to you. To cross that point where I'm no longer in control. It's whatever you want. I am entirely, entirely yours. God's calling people to surrender their, their assets, surrender their attitude, surrender their relationship, surrender their activity, to yield themselves entirely to him. In just a few minutes, I'm going to invite people to the altar. The altar is a place for people to make sacrifices, for people to surrender. And if that's you, God's dealing with some area of your heart this morning, I'm going to invite you to respond in just a couple of minutes. We're going to spend some time just saying, Lord, this is marking a moment where I'm, I'm, I'm going to move off of that rock. I'm going to move from beyond waist deep, just kind of knowing that I'm, I'm, I'm in there, I'm in the right area. I want to get to where it's over my head. I yield control. I surrender myself entirely, entirely to you. Let me read one more verse and then we'll pray. Back to verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. A lot of people's favorite verse, it's a great verse. I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength to do it. Now, Paul wasn't just talking about, you know, I I can do anything. You know that, right? I can do all kinds of stuff. He'd actually just talked about how he has done all kinds of stuff. He's talking about how he's lived at both ends of the spectrum. He's done it all. He's been places where he had to stop them because they're treating him like a God on that level. And he's also been in situations where they beat him and throw him into prison and want to end his life. 
He's lived at both ends of the spectrum. He's done it all. He's seen miracles. He's been treated well. He's had tons. He's been locked up in prison. He knows how to rely on God and make it through every situation and come out victorious. So he's not just talking about what he can do. He, he demonstrate a willingness, a willingness to do. Not just I can do all things. I'm willing to do anything for Christ. Because there's things that you can do, but you're not willing to do them. Right? Just because you can do something doesn't mean you're, you want to do it. When service is over and you're trying to decide where you're going to go to eat, you can go to Long John Silver's. Right? But you don't want to. Nobody wants to. Don't, ah, uh, it's not what it used to be. So just because you can do something doesn't mean there's a willingness. So it's one thing to say, I, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's a great verse. It's wonderful. I'm not against it at all. But maybe what's more significant, say, I, I would do anything for you, Jesus. Not just I can do all things through Christ. I would do anything for Christ. Jesus, I'm surrendered to you. I, I'll, do, I'll do whatever you want. I'm completely yielded. I will do anything. I will do all things for Christ. I'll do whatever you ask. There's nothing off limits. I'm completely surrendered to you. Well, that's this week's message. Thanks for joining us. To stay connected with us throughout the week, make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook. You can also watch previous week's services on our YouTube page.